Uh, James chapter 5. We're going to look at James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. James chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. This is the Word of God. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Before we uh, consider this passage together, let's pray. Our Father, we would ask uh, that now by your Spirit, uh, you would uh, fill us and animate us, give us spiritual life so we can understand your word, help us to uh, appreciate it and to appropriate it. Lord, you know the circumstances of our lives, you know the circumstances of our weeks and our days and our morning, and you know what is on our heart and on our mind as we have gathered together here. You know that we, we are not capable often of uh, shutting out what distresses us, We are not capable of just pushing away all of the things of the world, and so we need your help. We need your help by your Spirit to uh, see your truth and be strengthened by it. Father, for those uh, who are here today uh, who require patience, for those who are here today uh, who are struggling, waiting for a, a harvest, waiting for the crop to come, Give them the strength that they need to stand firm. And for those who are uh, in need of a reminder, and not just a reminder, but in need of the reality of your son's return, grant it to them. Grant it to us. Help us see life. Help us to see today in light of the return of Jesus Christ and eternity. For we ask it in his name. Amen. I actually want to come at this text obliquely this morning. Uh, I don't often do that, uh, but I want to actually come at this text through another text first, okay? So I want you to sort of bear with me. Um, There's going to be a point uh, in terms of example, and there's going to be a point in terms of thematic and conceptual uh, overlap. So, Uh, I'm not neglecting James at all, but I want us to look at uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, just for a little bit first. 
So if you have your Bibles, just flip to Luke. We're going to be going back to James. And as you know, if you're here week after week after week, you know that, that I like to stay in the text that we're in. Uh, but uh, this week I'm making a, a slight exception to frame it out. So Luke chapter 18. For those of you who have been in Sunday school, we've been trying the last couple weeks to understand a little bit about uh, understanding parables, and so here is, here is a parable. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, just uh, an item for prayer before talking about this parable, which is about prayer. Uh, I've just very recently uh, been asked uh, to go this Thursday uh, to York University and to engage in a dialogue with uh, Ahmadiyya Muslims and with a a rabbinic scholar from Toronto uh, about sort of how our different faiths approach different questions, however different faiths, perspectives, understand God. And then how, and then there'll be, it'll be opened up for question and answer from the audience, and you you just never know what you're going to get. I mean, uh, I mean, you kind of do, like in the sense that there's, there's certain trope questions that are likely to get trotted out at some point, but you never know quite how that is going to go. So if you could be in prayer for that, I'd appreciate it. One of the things, uh, there's four topics I need to address, and one of them actually is very interesting. I've never, never had a topic like this given to me before. It's how does your faith view prayer and uh, approaching God? It's a very interesting question, uh, and I'm actually quite interested to hear uh, what, uh, what, the other, what the other chaps will have to say about that. Uh, you know, how, what do you think about prayer? How does your religious tradition look at prayer and approaching God? Uh, the other ones are tougher by, by a good bit. Uh, one of them actually involves, I think the question was, um, does, your religious, does your religion believe that all people are equal under God? Second part, as if that's not enough. And, uh, and how does your religion construct models of social justice? Five minutes, right? So, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. Yes and or no, quite well, is, is how I think I'll approach that one, and, and have four minutes to spare. Uh, so, this one is about uh, prayer and about justice. So, Jesus teaches that you are to, that he gives us parable to show that you are to pray and not give up. It assumes there will be prayer. It assumes you might need a little bit of a nudge to pray persistently. 
probably a lot of us construct prayer lists, probably a lot of us tell people we will pray for them, and then either don't, or we pray once, and then we forget about it. So there's a persistence here that Jesus is expecting. And he tells this parable. Now, this analogy is going to very unfavorably represent God if you get the point of contact wrong. So you have this unjust judge who doesn't fear God or care what people think. He doesn't fear God or care about people, which means he actually is someone who is violating the two greatest commandments. He doesn't love God, and he doesn't love his neighbor. He doesn't care about God, doesn't care what people think, doesn't fear God, doesn't care about people. And so in terms of Israel, he actually is by definition unjust. Uh, So the person who is presiding in courts of law, the person who is supposed to be just, is by definition in Israel's law flagrantly unjust. He doesn't care about God, that's where justice begins, and he doesn't care about his neighbor. Now there's this widow, this helpless and marginalized, who keeps coming, that is, this is her regular habit. She continues to come to this judge asking for justice against her adversary, and he doesn't care. So in verse 4, for some time he refuses. He just doesn't care about justice. He doesn't care about her, and he doesn't care about honoring God. But eventually says to himself, I don't fear God. I mean, at least he he's, has some level of self-analysis and self-understanding. I don't fear God. I don't care what people think. But this widow keeps bothering me. So I'll give her what she wants, so she won't eventually come and attack me. Which might, I mean, there, there is a slight element of humor in this, just a little. You know, where, where you have this, this uh, you know, powerful judge who's worried that this, this little widow is going to come. And actually, the terminology that's used is, is actually drawn from wrestling and boxing in the Greco-Roman world. You know, when he says, she keeps bothering me, it, it's actually more, it's a strong word. It's like she keeps battering me. And I'll see that she gets justice, so she won't come and attack me. And attack me is a boxing term for sort of pummeling and bruising and pounding down. And so he basically says, I don't fear God or care what people think, but this lady's going to beat me up. And so I'm just going to give her what she wants so that she doesn't you know, go nine rounds with me in the ring. So she gets justice just because she keeps persevering. That's how she gets justice. Now, if you think that you get justice with God— because, you know, he really doesn't care about you, but if you just keep bothering him, eventually he'll give in. Kind of like the, uh, the parable where there's the, the individual who has some friends come at midnight, needs to feed them, and he goes to his neighbor, please, if some people come, I, I, can I borrow some bread? And the man says, go away and don't bother me, I'm already in bed. And, and the person keeps knocking, and he says, and, and Jesus, well, eventually the guy will get up, not because he cares about, you know, giving the bread, because he just wants to go back to sleep. And he realizes you're not going to stop bothering him, so he'll give you the bread so you, you can start having a quiet night's sleep, even though he doesn't want to. The point isn't that God's reluctant. The point is that perseverance even works with evil, selfish people. And so if perseverance works with evil, selfish people, how much more will it work with a good and compassionate and merciful God. That's the point, right? In the, in the same way that Jesus will say, look, even though you're evil, you know how to good, give good gifts to your children. You know, if one of, if one of your children asks for, a, for an egg, are you going to give them a scorpion? 
You know, if they ask for bread, are you going to give them a snake? Even though you are evil. You know, in other words, you, know, that, that you, you look at what people will do even though they're evil, and this is a flagrant example of someone who isn't just, and then you index that against God, and you say, well, well, God is totally different. Of course God is going to be someone who gives justice to those who continue to ask for it. Of course he would be. He isn't like this unjust judge at all. That's the point. It's a point of contrast. So you persevere precisely because God isn't like the unjust judge. The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? The unjust judge will give in because he just doesn't want to get beat up. He's tired of this lady. God is full of love and mercy and compassion. His children cry out to him for justice day and night. Will he not bring it about? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Except that they don't. Have you ever taken a look at life? Have you ever looked around? There are people who cry out for justice day and night, year after year after year after year, and they don't see it. There are people who plead with God for justice and change and help and end up crushed and broken. There are people who long for justice and who are unfairly persecuted, beaten, imprisoned, and put to death. Will not God bring about justice for his children who cry out day and night? I tell you, he will bring them justice and will bring it quickly. That is empirically false. Unless you're going to tell me seriously that everyone who cries out for justice to God gets it really fast. So what do you do with that? Well, I'm teaching a course, maybe I ought not to be, but I'm teaching a course on the Gospel of Luke in Toronto. And this is the parable. This is one of the sections that we were looking at on Tuesday night. And so I asked the students, what can this mean? Is it true? Is this what happens? And so we thought a little bit, talked a little bit, thought that the question, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That, that has to be relevant somehow. That has to fit in. In other words, Jesus is giving you an answer and a really important detail by asking this question. So that, that question's important. So how does that factor in? Well, well, we tease it around a little bit. Remembered that God's definition and experience of time is not quite like ours. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. Quickly to God may not be quickly to us. Sure, that's, that's something worth bearing in mind. 
but also translation, perhaps. The word quickly can refer to temporal imminence, that is, it is quick in time. Or it can actually also refer to something which is surely, certainly to happen. So the one word can be translated either as immediately, soon, suddenly, or surely. Uh, that's, That's a difference there. He will make sure that you get justice quickly. That is, is that quickly in your perspective or quickly in his perspective? And is the accent on time at all or is it on the certainty of justice at some point? Which then would seem to anchor it ultimately in the second coming. But when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? In other words, the question is, well, why would, he, why would that be an issue? Maybe it's because until the Lord returns, there's going to be so much injustice in this world, you might lose faith, and you might not feel like persevering in prayer because you're crying out and you're not seeing any difference. When the Son of Man comes back, when justice is what He comes to bring, will there still be people who are looking for justice by virtue of His return? That may be the point. The next big thing God is doing in terms of His redemptive time frame is bound up with the return of His Son. The next climactic thing God is doing in redemptive history is the return of Jesus. And so in that sense, too, the next thing is near and quickly and surely. It is the next thing God is doing. His Son is going to return. How much time goes by, we don't know. But the next big thing is the return of Jesus Christ. Now, after class, and we said a lot more, right? We were trying to work it out together. After class, a student came up to me and said, I want you to know, you know, with, with that section there about justice and crying out for justice and wondering what God is doing, I said, I have a friend who is so distraught over the lack of justice in the world, who is so distraught over the pain and turmoil and suffering in the world. She says, I've been crying out to God that it will stop. And if it doesn't, I'm going to kill myself because I can't endure it. And last weekend, she slit her wrists. She was taken to the hospital. And the doctors were able to save her life. But she's still alive. It's her friend Tuesday night after a long day of lecturing in two different schools in two different cities. Asking, well, how, how can I help her? What, what do I say? What do I do? Just, just one small window into why 
I may not think that the details of procedural bylaws are the most important things in all of the world the next night at business meetings. There are bigger things in the world to care about. So what do you do? What do you say? Do you say, oh, 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 oh don't worry, don't worry. You, you, you just cry at Luke 18, it's all going to work out really fast. Well, you want to say that, but it's not true. James chapter 5. Be patient, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. The reality is, Jesus is either coming back as judge and purifier and creator of a new heavens and new earth to make all things right, or he's not. And if he is not, then there really isn't any hope. There just isn't. In fact, I have to tell you, of all of the things that that girl's response of attempting to take her life were. Crazy wasn't one of them, actually. If you actually, with sensitivity, enter into the suffering of people and the injustice in the world, detached from hope that God is actually going to sort it out and make it right, it is a terrible thing. There are also, just so you know, this is important, there are also shockingly large spectrums of how people process these sorts of things emotionally. Some people are just not overly bothered by the suffering of other people. I don't mean that they're callous necessarily. Some people are just calloused. Some people are just relatively unmoved by those sorts of things. Some people, in the same way that some people, you know, they're, they're, by, by analogy, some people, you know, they're, they're not really phased by, by blood or, or gore, and, and I get squeamish just saying that phrase, right? So, so they're just different responses to things, different, different levels of sensitivity to things. There are people who are extremely empathetic. That is, what doesn't really bother someone else really bothers them. There are other people, even further down the pipe, who, 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 are, who are called empaths. That is, they actually feel what other people feel. Now, now you spend enough time Working through the suffering and injustice of part of part of the, problem, the issue with, with this with this young lady is 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 her reading of history. 
I can relate to that. All of the things that have taken place in this world, all of the unspeakable suffering, and you feel it. And where do you look for hope? Well, you look to God. But when you cry out to God and nothing is happening, what do you do? Well, for some people, it just leads to despair. I mean, and, and, and at some level, just as an example, you, you want to say, look, look, Really, I mean, since, since the 1970s, I don't realize it isn't, you know, this is just potted, but, but basically since the 1970s, uh, there's been, been very free and open access to abortion in Canada. And, and for decades, Christians have prayed and called out and donated and tried to support you know, pregnancy centers and, and protested and signed petitions and called out to God decade after decade after decade. And, and what has changed in Canada in terms of abortion law and societal acceptability uh, today? What's different than, than, than 40 years ago? What's different is that it's more acceptable now, and you, you can't even go into a university and actually have a debate because you're not even allowed to, to represent the other side anymore. So things are worse. You, you, you were at least at one point able, in a university context, to represent a pro-life position. Now, even trying to host a debate in some university campuses has been shut down as a form of discrimination, inducing guilt towards women who may have, who may have had an abortion. And so it's basically a, considered hate speech to even suggest talking about the other side. And you may almost think that you care more about it than God does. Because the reason that there is, are still all these abortions in Canada is because we don't have the power to stop it. But God does. So what do you do? Be patient. Be patient, then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. The then, or the therefore, is a connecting word to what he said in verses 1 through 6 of chapter 5, which is dealing with people who are being exploited and oppressed. So, in light of exploitation and oppression, be patient because the Lord is returning. This analogy, it could be worked out at length, but I won't bother. The farmer waits. You have to be patient. There are, there are seasonal cycles. There are yearly cycles that, that you can plot out in terms of crops and trees and all of the rest. But you, you have to wait. As, as the farmer is patient, you too be patient and do what? Stand firm. Be patient and stand firm. Patience is just the, it, it is the theme of this text, the word that comes up again and again and again. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. That sounds just like you're going to get justice quickly. The Lord's coming is near. It was 2,000 years ago. There have been generation after generation after generation after generation who have lived and died without seeing this, who have lived under the oppression and exploitation and injustice of the world. You say, what do you mean the Lord's, what do you mean that you'll get justice quickly? What do you mean that, that the Lord's coming is near? It's the next big thing. It's the next big thing God is doing. 
and his program of redemptive history, the return of Jesus Christ, is the next climactic moment. And you wait for that, and you pray, and you persist, and you work, you do all that you can, but you wait patiently because here's the truth. We are not going to see a utopia ever this side of the return of Christ. There is always going to be injustice. It's not going to go away. The local level things can be curbed. So, so, so the church was instrumental in stopping the exposure and infanticide of infants in the Greco-Roman world a, you know, a couple thousand, two thousand years ago. That, that was something the church did. Responsible for, for health care, fine, lot, lots and lots and lots of things. But, but, you, but you do realize that, that, that today I mean, there, there are all kinds of people in the Western world who are advocating infanticide again. I wouldn't be at all surprised. It, it's part of the, the logic of the abortion argument. Wouldn't be at all surprised if we don't end up with infanticide in our country as, as a legal option. You know, certainly, certainly within my lifetime, that wouldn't surprise me a bit. Not, not even the tiniest bit. Uh, and, and that's even if I don't have much longer to live. We live in a culture of death, increasingly so. There's always going to be war. There is. There's always going to be sexual assault. Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. And I tell you this, I just don't know, I don't know what to do with this text otherwise. You just can either do this or you can't, right? You, you, you can either... Believe that Jesus is coming back and that justice is going to be done and that the world is going to be put to rights. You can either cling to that or you can't. You can either be patient or you can't. You can either stand firm or you can't. But, but if, if you can't hold on to this, I tell you, this is, this is just, I, I, I realize I, I'm not... Like even I'm not shockingly good at being comforting. I understand that. But I tell you, pastorally, and it may be just my defects, and it may just be reality. I don't know which one of the two it is. But pastorally, I tell you this. I have no comfort to offer you in terms of the injustice of the world if Jesus is not coming back. I just, I just have nothing to give you. Ultimately, I have nothing to say. Unless Jesus is coming back, and he's the judge, and he's going to sort it out, we wait and hope, and we stand firm. The judge is at the door. Verse 9, don't grumble against one another, or you will be judged. Yeah, there's slightly more important things than to be grumbling about other people. You want to say, at least I want to say, Lord, this is too hard. Can you really expect this of us? 
And what James does is James points back to people who have experienced this. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, consider the prophets. Why do the prophets suffer? The prophets suffered precisely because they proclaimed the Word of God. As an example of perseverance, consider Job. Job suffered precisely because he was the most righteous person on the face of the earth. Have you considered my servant Job, says God to Satan, drawing Satan's attention to Job? There's no one like him. A man who's blameless and upright, fears God and shuns evil. Satan says, I, I, I can break him. And God says, okay. Here's the outer limit, but go ahead. Precisely because Job is righteous. He comes within a whisper of being destroyed. Consider the prophets. Consider Job. In other words, righteousness is not your exemption from suffering. It might be the cause of it. But we count them as blessed who have persevered. You've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. In the face of suffering, in the face of global injustice, in your darkest hour, in your worst pain, is God full of compassion and mercy. Does God actually love the world? Does He actually care? Does he actually want to bless? Does he actually want to take care of us? Why is the world like this then? Well, was the Son of God born into the world? Did he die on the cross to provide redemption for sin? Was he raised from the grave, defeating death and sin and shame and guilt, breaking the power of the curse and the devil and hell, breaking the power of our sin nature and the power of all of the guilt and shame of the things we have done and failed to do? Is Christ a resurrected Savior? Is he at the right hand of the Father? Is he coming back? Will there be a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness? If the answer to that string of questions is yes, then the Lord is full of compassion and mercy because He has acted to redeem and save and purify. And there is, oh, such a bright hope. The future is unimaginably bright and brilliant and radiant and glorious and wonderful. 
it's worth waiting for no matter what. It's, waiting f- worth, it's worth persevering for no matter what. It's worth being patient for no matter what, no matter how difficult things may be and no matter how difficult things are, it's worth waiting for because the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And I tell you, I don't think you can believe that if you walk by sight and by analyzing the world around you, I think you can only believe that by accepting the great propositions of the gospel and anchoring yourself in what God has objectively done for the world and for you through Jesus Christ. Because if Jesus Christ is a redeemer for people like us, then there can't really be any doubt that God is a God of love because He has provided at the cost of His own Son. That is, that is, the Son of God is not immune from suffering. The Son of God redeems by suffering. He doesn't leave us in it and abandons us. He's entered into it. He's suffered more than any of us ever have or can imagine to bring us eternal life. And if that will not suffice to show that God cares about you, then nothing ever will. The gift of His Son is either sufficient or nothing will satisfy you. The redemption of Christ is either enough or nothing is. The return of Christ is good enough or it's not. But that's all, the God, that's all that God offers you. That's all that the gospel has for you. It is either Jesus Christ, born, died, resurrected, ascended, returning. It is either that or it is nothing. The Bible offers you nothing else but Jesus. And Jesus is either enough or not, in spite of it all. We don't do ourselves any favors by minimizing the horror of the atrocities and suffering in the world. Because it's only when you see the horror and the atrocity and the suffering and the pain of the world that you can see part of the greatness of God in that God is greater, He's big enough to actually atone and redeem all of that. Stand firm. You might have to white-knuckle it all the way depending on the life circumstances God puts you in. But don't stop calling out for justice. Don't stop working for it. Do whatever you can, but be patient, persevere, and stand firm. He will see that they get justice and, and will get it certainly. The Lord's coming is near. May He help us. May God help every one of us to anchor ourselves in the hope that only Jesus can bring. I'm going to ask your musicians to come and lead us in our closing song.